What is happening, keyboard people? Welcome to the second episode of the More Keys Please podcast. If you're tuning in for the first time, I do recommend that you start with the first episode featuring Patrick Kelly of The Suffers, and then continue on to our second episode featuring Jarrell Pickens. Jarrell is as real as it gets. He's an excellent B3 and piano player, and just a player in general. His style is extremely warm and soulful, and he prefers to lug around the electromechanical keyboards and their amplifiers in lieu of digital recreations such as Nords, and I have mad respect for that. Uh, Jarrell and I discuss B3 tricks, Casios, and their role as our early keyboard instructors, We discuss different keyboards, we discuss different playing styles, different drawbar settings, accordions, and even getting shot at after gigs in Houston. Thanks for tuning in, and hopefully you enjoy the second episode of the podcast as much as I enjoyed recording the second episode of the podcast. Let's go. State your name. Okay, my name is Jarrell Pickens. All right, Jarrell Pickens. I'm inspired by you. I like I like your style, and I like your uh, how you honor vintage electromechanical keyboards and stringed instruments. I think it's rare because so many so many people are hopping on synths mm-hmm. these days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess my mother, you know, grew up, and uh, when when I grew up with an antique piano. She she bought it, you know, at an antique shop, and uh, so that's what we learned to play on. And it, you know, it would always go out of tune, and we didn't understand till years later is because it was too old, like the soundboard couldn't hold the. Mm. But I, I got kind of used to that sound, and you know. So it's a real honky tonk out of tune. Yeah, yeah, not not too bad. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like you, you can always hear it in the lower notes of instruments that can't hold a tuning properly because mm. it, it gets too slack yeah because that takes a lot of strength to uh keep tension on those lower notes mm-hmm. and you don't have you don't have backup as with the you know like middle c you have three strings with, with the lower notes you only have two and sometimes only one right so if it goes out of tune it's right. really out of tune oh yeah yeah yeah. Right. yeah and with the you know like the electromechanical instruments what's it, it's taken like a, a lot of patience but I, I felt like I've I've learned more. Uh, part of it is I got to that point where I didn't want my fingers and wrists to hurt, and there there was like a limit to the amount of time that I wanted to sit down and play an instrument. So I thought if I started to learn more about like the mechanics behind an instrument, then I could still like advance my ability, uh, but not be so narrow in my focus. So that's that's kind of how I started getting into the electromechanical okay. instruments. Yeah, you don't you don't see too much of it now. Uh, it, larger bands, of course, but uh, I always thought it was neat how you 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 wheel that piano out at uh, mm-hmm. Shoeshine Charlie's. I thought it was the coolest thing the first time I saw. It. I was like, who's this guy? Oh man! So I told you that that piano was donated to the uh, club by a, a excellent bass player named Mark Riddell. Oh, okay, uh, he plays with Mike Stinson. Uh, so 
famous local songwriter who oh, really? used to write for Dwight Yoakam okay. and some other artists. Uh, but yeah, it was his grandmother's and he, he donated it to the club uh, uh, years ago, it, it, probably like a decade or so when they first opened. Now, is that considered a spin it? Yes, because I think it, so. Like, unlike mine, it goes up a little higher. Okay, so need, maybe you call it a studio. Is a stu- that- I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm learning my uprights. Yeah. Uh, hmm. I know there, there are a few different classifications. Yeah, I'm not sure. So it, it, it seems like it's, right, it, it probably extends another seven, eight inches taller. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit taller. Right. I remember whenever my grandmother gave me this piano, I've, I've played on this piano ever since I was a toddler. Mm-hmm. In fact, she thought I had hit the keys with a hammer, uh, but I, I, I still haven't convinced her that it wasn't me, uh-huh. but uh, I looked it up, and, and this is a common thing with ivory keys. It, it, it often does that. But anyway. Like it flakes? Or that, what yeah, happened? It's, like, it's, it's chipped, almost like, uh, a, like a rat took a bite out of it. It has like little teeth, like a little bite marks yeah. almost, but it's just the way it, it happened to flake. But uh, yeah, so that piano is always been very valuable to me mm-hmm. so i thought you know i thought i'd look it up and see what it's worth the 1950 Wurlitzer, mm-hmm. and they're practically giving them away for free on craigslist uh-huh. so. do you know why the Wurlitzers? they all have that uh like vent right there below where like the middle c is yeah where would, the, the pedals connect i think that's just a sound hole just a sound hole okay because that, that's the one thing that i i've always been noticing that you can distinguish the the, the Wurlitzer. Yeah, pianos. I like it. Yeah, mm, when you when you it. take that cover off down there, I'm, you know this, but mm. it gets it gets very loud and bright. Mm. Sometimes I like to play with with that cover off and then the lid open. Uh-huh. But a lot of times when you see guys using uprights at concerts, they usually have it all exposed. Uh, mm. But I, I like the muted. the 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 more I play piano, the the more I appreciate a mellow warm piano mm. sound yeah that soft pedal the the one just usually oh, to the yeah, left yeah. It, it helps i heard uh this uh musician named alex Earhart uh that uh works over at the 1810 ojimon he was complaining about uh keyboardists and pianists using the sustain pedal too much so he mm. said he had to let go of the uh keyboardist that he had for their uh, jazz fusion night because the guy just wouldn't take his foot off of the sustain pedal. And he was asking why, why uh keyboardists feel the need to do that. Um, uh, just stay on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I've been trying to, trying to work on that, like, uh, either, you know, arpeggiating chords to fill it out or just, uh, not, not, not using the sustain pedal at all, even though I like it. I like the sound, but yeah. I, I understand that maybe it's the responses, you know, I guess I like it cause I feel like it fills out the sound and it just carries. Right. Um, but trying to do that without the sustain pedal for a while. So it's tough. Cause then, you know, you just got to put your feet and just like plant them instead of uh, like keeping time with your feet and stuff. Yeah. You, you probably would become more percussive mm-hmm. with your playing rather than, just trying to fill in the holes, you, you end up doing more like of a clavinet or even, you know, the Hammond organ will teach you not to use a sustain pedal. Oh, when yeah. I first started uh, playing the Hammond, I, I was doing it on a keyboard. Mm-hmm. So of course I had a sustain pedal 
but then you get on a real Hammond or you just see what the real guys are doing and uh, there's no sustain pedal. So I cut off the sustain pedal mm-hmm. and I used it. I use it now as a Leslie switch. But yeah, that was that was difficult at first for me going from piano to uh, Hammond. Mm-hmm. Uh, always kind of looking for that sustain pedal, but now I'm good. Yeah, yeah. One of yeah. the things I, I try to practice on the on the Hammond is holding one note, like to make certain that uh, if you really want to fill out the sound, always have one note, even when you're switching chords. You know, so say you play a B minor, you keep that F sharp. And like, so if you go from a B minor to an F sharp major, hold it down, hold that F sharp so that, um, you know, then the notes kind of surprise people and it creates that swell and like a smooth transition. Right. Because the trick to organ is not making it choppy because every time you take your fingers off, the sound disappears. Ah, yeah. And um, this wonderful drummer named Juan Bear told me about 10 years back, he was the son of uh, Kenny Bear, very famous blues guitarist from the Third Ward. And he was looking at me, we were playing down at Dean's, and he's like, man, he's like, I don't know why you're working so hard, man. You're playing the organ. All you got to do is hold it and fill out the sound. That's what I need you to do. And I, I remember that all the time, like when I'm playing, like, you know, like sometimes you get greedy and you're just like, I got to show off a little yeah. bit. You know, I've been, I've been working. I don't think these other guys have been working as hard as me, but you know, usually you got to just like sit back and, and make everyone, you know, better and just swell it out. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult going from piano to organ. Uh, it, I, it took a long time before I actually started trying to play him in licks, but there's no forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You can cover things up on the piano with the, you know, with the sustain pedal and you can hit notes lightly and test them out before you actually really stab it. Mm-hmm. But on the Hammond, there's no testing out because it's either on or off. You're right. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And well, the, the trick to that though is always to say, even when you hit a note and it's not what you want it, then you just keep on going. Keep hitting it. <laughs> yeah. Like, cause they say there's, there's, there's no, no mistakes, no wrong notes only poor choices ah. and it always depends on what you do next as to whether or not it was a poor choice write that down yeah, yeah was piano your first instrument that you remember playing yes as i said my mother uh played the piano she you know went through the uh what do you call that the john thompson series she she was excellent she'd put the uh metronome up there tick 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 and play these pieces that i i still can't play so we'd listen to her. She'd practice, you know, an hour each night, you know, Monday through Friday. You know, she would play just flawlessly, and then she'd hit, like, something wrong. She'd go, oops, and she'd stop. And then she'd, like, turn, like, back three or four pages and start again. Start from the top. Mm-hmm. And so you were hearing her play in the house, and that is where your curiosity came from? Or did she make you take lessons? No. So I was the, yes, it, curiosity, I was the youngest of three. She tried to teach my sister, who's seven years older, and my brother, who's mm-hmm. three years older, and they both quit. So she decided she would not teach me. <laughs> so, and if she if she would have, you you may not have been interested in it, right? Uh, so, funny story. the The way that I kind of got all in on music was when I was fifteen. I had an economics class, and uh, we had to do a commercial advertising for a product. So I was over at my friend's, you know, we had this Casio keyboard and we hit the demo song button 
and we just loved it and we just started acting goofy and we made this commercial with that sound going and so then we uh ended up forming a band because we realized like we all liked music and the uh the guitarist was maybe 11 years old at the time uh a, a man named jesse barrett and uh he's gone on he got his phd in signal processing from usc oh. uh he does wonderful studio guitar work uh got to open up for the who and like some other groups. Uh, but he's been like an in demand session guitarist for the last decade or so. Um, but so it was their family and my family. So the, the Barrett family and we would just get together, um, starting from 10th grade, 10th grade through 12th grade. And, you know, we'd play Led Zeppelin and, you know, all these songs and then we'd call radio stations, you know, like we'd call 101 or whatever, the rock station. Mm -hmm. And we'd be like, hey, have you guys ever heard of our band? Or, you know, we'd make up a name like our, our band's name was Frank D and the New Deal. And we'd call like, have you heard that new Frank D and the New Deal song? And they're like, no, we haven't. And they're like, and we'd go, hold on, hold on. And then we'd start playing. <laughs> just, to, just to the phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This was before cell. Yeah, speakerphone, yeah, yeah, yeah. speakerphone. And sometimes, like, we'd finish the song, we'd be like, hello? And they're like, uh, yeah, hello? <laughs> like, ah. they, we were shocked, like, they didn't hang up. That's, uh, that's really impressive. Yeah, yeah. I remember KL, KLOL, 101.1. That's what it Was is, it? yeah, Outlaw Dave. Outlaw Dave, yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's where I, I, I was in Beaumont, I was living in Beaumont, and I had a, uh, I'd rigged an antenna at my house just so I could catch that station. Our local rock station was, was pretty bad. They played Linkin Park and things like that whereas mm -hmm. 101.1 would play you know like the classics van halen guns and roses oh yeah i told yeah. you i've been trying to figure out i i oh man i want to play jump i want to do a a piano version of van halen's jump that's that's like on my list of i'll show you my version of it after this oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah, hell yeah. yeah it's uh it, it's it's a bounce on the c uh -huh. on the bass but uh, I wanted to get back on the uh, Casio. Do you remember that song, the demo song? Because I had like, I had at least two Casio keyboards growing up, uh, and they are—they have been a huge influence. Yeah, no, I don't remember. I'm pretty certain it was one of those. What do you say, like PR, PRS, or whatever series? Uh, you know, it was. You don't remember the demo song though? No, I mean it went like dun 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 dun, dun and then like you know go into kind of almost like a roller skating kind of sound, hmm. but it, it wasn't a, uh, what's well, a roller skating sound. <laughs> well, we're like the, it had like the synth bass kind of moving and, uh, okay. And, and then the, and then the, the terrible, uh, keyboard horns. Yeah. You know, and then it, you know, in with like a cheesy kind of electric guitar through the keyboard riff. Uh, but it was fun. It was danceable. I'd say roller skating because, you know, it was just like something that makes you like move. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't a, a a previous song. Like, it, you know, it was a demo yeah. created just for that. That was my first piano teacher was my, my Casio. Uh, uh, it had, I had this one, it had this little screen on it, which I, I know is common now, but uh, and it would tell you what chords that the songs that were built in were playing. Mm -hmm. And it would show you the fingering. Right. And so I learned uh, Canon in D. Oh, yeah. But I learned it in C, which is, I, I think they had it, maybe I just transposed it in my head to, to C or on there somehow, but I, I had learned it in C. 
and it all started from there really with with the keyboard it was it was the casio mm-hmm. and then i'd played guitar since second grade uh, okay so i learned guitar so i knew chords and then i realized how much easier they were on the piano not necessarily easier but they made a lot more sense because mm-hmm. it's all linear and the guitar is you know oddly stacked you have to really study the guitar to understand why it's laid out the way it is. Whereas piano, it makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. and it repeats. Every every 12 notes, it repeats. And so right. the piano is a lot more fun. And you have a free hand because you're not having to strum with one hand. Mm-hmm. So you can do bass. Yeah. You know, there's a, oh, what's that pianist name? There's a pianist that plays in a group out of Austin called the Choctaw Wildfire I know his first name is Charlie. I don't remember what his last mm. name is, but he's pretty uh, aggressive about hitting those low notes. And it sounds pretty good because, you know, usually you, you figure like the last 20 notes in the bass, you're just not going to touch on a on a piano with the band. But he does it and it, it's really nice. Yeah. yeah, it gets. And, you know, I mean, but it, it pushes people out of the way. It has uh, it has a place. Yeah. I mean, if you can pull it off. Uh, yeah, I don't like to step on any other frequency sure. range of of other instruments. Yeah, no, that's true. So you 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 started off with the piano. You had your little band. You had yes. your radio debut. Yeah, so we would play Fitzgeralds. So we started. Oh, we, really? Yeah, so you, you were you were getting gigs. Oh yeah, yeah. They they wanted us to over, open for Silver Chair and like Whoa. some different things. But wait till tomorrow, right? Yeah. And um, like I said, the the guitarist was incredible um he still is um yeah we'd play this little club called hoi ploy that used to be on washington avenue when washington avenue was a slum uh yeah so this was in 1993 like wow yeah washington avenue was no place to hang out but they had some nice clubs or they were fun clubs um but yeah because i remember getting shot at um and running back into the club, uh, which was fun for like a 16-year-old, 15-year-old. Yeah, that'll get your adrenaline yeah, moving. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And um, yeah, and we, we actually we made a recording. But yeah, then I started playing some guitar probably when I was 17. Uh, focused on that for a while. Saxophone when I was 22. Uh, I didn't oh, hold wow. on to that. Yeah, and not... I used to teach violin. Uh, still never learned how to play the violin well, but I, I have taught violin uh, and accordion. Accordion's my retirement plan. I'm really not good at it, but it, yeah, I do have a 120 button accordion. That's really that's my goal. I want to retire and be a uh, Zotico band. Do you? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a family tradition. So oh, what a turn. Yeah. So hopefully. Keep my fingers. Well, crossed. at least there's a keyboard on the accordion. Yes, that's that's a mm-hmm. start. I, I wouldn't know what to do with the left. I don't know what's going on over there. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's tricky. Uh, so on on the left side of the accordion, what they call the bass buttons. Uh, so the one I have has 120 buttons. Each so out of 120 buttons, there are one, two, six. Let's see, there's six buttons, so how many rows would that be? 20, so there's 20 rows. So 20 rows, six columns. Um, so for each row, you have a um, 
fundamental note, fundamental bass note. You have the uh, fifth note. And then you have your major chord, your seventh chord, your minor chord, and your diminished chord. Yeah, so it's it's tricky though, and and then it, I think it moves in fourths. Like as you go, as you go down, I believe it moves in fourths. I, I can't remember. Like it's like in fourths when you go down, and fifths when you go up, or the other way around. That's why I'm not good enough because I can't remember. Yeah. It's a uh, it's a challenge though, um, and the 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 biggest trick that I have not been able to figure out is that the the buttons are slanted on the accordion, so oftentimes I move into a row that I'm not meaning to, because I I always think that the buttons are going to be straight, but they're slanted. But they're slanted. So like when I move like from this one to that one, then I've switched keys that i didn't mean to what what keyboard were you using with your early band so i was still playing the same casio that i had uh, oh, okay i never got and i brought that with me to college you know no weight to it no way not not, not touch no, sensitive no sensitivity and, and then when i got to college i went to the university of texas at austin i lived in jester which is like this huge dorm that has its own zip code because of how many people live in the dorms and they had a uh, grand piano in the, uh, what do you call it, meeting room or lounge room and had these glass doors. So then what would happen is I would go down there, like, you know, I'd go out with my friends, we hang out and, you know, everybody would go to sleep and I would go into the meeting room and sit and play the piano and try and sober myself up or just, you know, work through some songs. And that's when I really became kind of infatuated with music, um, because the the town of Austin just music was everywhere, and I started to see what could be done, like how it affected me and how it affected other people, mm. and that's when, like the bug really hit me. But I still didn't purchase another instrument. Mm. I think I got like a Yamaha with like the built-in speakers when I was like twenty-eight or something. Like, like a weighted Yamaha. Oh man! So so what? Yeah. So what happened? This this is what I remember about the history of my keyboards. We were playing at this place called the Shaw Champagne Bar, and uh, it was over there on Wa Drive. You know, right around. Uh, do you know where like the Drink of Ages, or just a little further north? Uh, yeah, a little north, north of the north, bayou, right? a little north of the flat of where the flat is. Okay, on Wa Drive. And um, we were playing there weekly. It's really nice, fancy. And, you know, we're playing with this jazz group. And, uh, you know, the guitarists had come up from Mexico City. And, you know, it's this whole big thing. And finally, like the bassist, you know, he's got this custom-made upright bass. And after about the seventh week of being there, he just pulled me aside. He's like, Jarrell, you got to go get some real equipment. You you can't you can't show up to this you know fancy gig with your Yamaha with the built-in speakers you know like it sounds terrible. You're making money playing you know go and invest some money. So I went and I got an uh, Alesis uh, QS7. You know, walked into Guitar Center and they had it for two or three hundred dollars and I liked it because it had the good weight to it. And that was that was the first 
good, you know, digital piano keyboard that I got. And I kept that well into my thirties. Um, I didn't sell it until I left Washington DC maybe four years ago. Now in between there, I think I've, I've had some, had some different gear. I, I have this habit of, uh, I like cheap, like old keyboards, uh, preferably with the carrying case, you know, like those Yamaha, like the Porta sounds and the Casio tones, like all those little ones from the seventies and eighties. Uh, I tend to collect those with the built in rhythm beats and stuff. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> kind of like the ones you started on, right? Right. But you know, usually they're like this size. Like those uh, those ones like that with the the miniature keys. So like forty nine keys or less. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I, I feel like sometimes it, it may just be a refusal to accept the the three thousand dollar bright red Nord keyboard as the answer for being a good musician. Um, I'll, I'll go to the the guitar shop, the music store, and I'll you know fiddle with those just to get my fix, but. I'm just not willing to spend $3,000 for something that's hasn't made its, hasn't made its mark in history. Um, so I think that's why I, I, I tend towards the vintage instruments like the Hammonds and everything is because, you know, it's, you're coming up on a hundred years and they're still unmatched. You know, like the sound that they produce is, you know, proven. Um, so for me, like I, I hear people play the Nords and they never, they never sound that good to me out in the audience. They're they're very convenient. Right. And they, they can do a lot. And when you're, when you're sitting there and you're playing it yourself, it always sounds better than it does in the audience. I've never noticed that. I I like the way Nords sound. I Mm -hmm. like, uh, I like their new pianos and, I've I still am not in love with their their Hammond organ sound though. Mm-hmm. After using Main Stage for the last year, a little more than a year, mm-hmm. uh, and then and then jumping on a, a Nord, even the newest Nord, uh, I I like the um, the Clone Wheel on my on my Main Stage, the one that comes with thirty dollar Main Stage program. Mm-hmm. Now I I did test out this pretty killer keyboard uh, Vox. Oh, the Vox Continental, the new one? Yeah. The orange one? That one's pretty good. Uh, oh, man, I, yeah, I, I got to say, if, if I were going to drop whatever, 4000 I, I would probably get one of those. Now, you're saying it's good at emulating a Vox transistor organ? Uh, it, it, does the, it does the tone wheels as well. It does tone wheels. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, you know, it's got all those sounds in there, but it's, it's great. Um, it's a nice, like, big key bed you know like where it's got an extra foot and a half that you're not sure i guess it's just the buttons so it's it's one of those wider it's like an arranger keyboard size Mm. uh but it's great like the feel of it and everything uh because a lot of times with the keyboards they always choose to either make the key bed proper for playing organ or piano Mm-hmm. Um, that's what Nord does. Yeah, like so the the Korg SV1 I think is my favorite as far as the sound that it produces, but it's almost impossible to play organ like you play a real organ. Yeah, with how heavy those keys it's are. It's heavy. Yeah, it's got the RH3 or whatever the the 
um, iconic Nord key bed or cord key bed. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I had one for a little while. I sold it though. I didn't like the sounds on it because mm. it's just it, it. It does the electric pianos great. That's what I like. Yeah, and the the pianos, the actual string pianos are warm. They I I needed a bright one, and mm. uh, so I just got rid of it. I'm happy. Yeah, without it in my life because it can't fit in a case. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's odd. It's, it's got that round rounded back, and uh, it was fun. I if I had a bigger house, I'd I'd gladly have one of those like set up maybe next to my real piano. But right. But yeah, that's a that's a fun keyboard. It's it's an overwhelming world for keyboardists right now. There's just way too many options. Yeah, and so yesterday I tried out the. Uh, it's a vintage instrument called the Oberheim OB3 squared. Where did you try this? This is over at Guitar Center on Westheimer. Oh, they had a used one? They have a used one. Mm-hmm. I think it's from the, the 90s. And, it's, you know, it's the draw bar organ emulation. And it just has like a set of nine draw bars for you. Um, and the best thing about it was the delay effect for better or worse that the delay effect on like the organ i was like wow this is incredible i'd never even thought about this um but the 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 actual draw bar the changes that the draw bars created um was too subtle for me like uh you you couldn't hear it like tick by tick you know how Mm -hmm. they um and the the speaker emulation was pretty awful uh, overdrive was awful. But. On that note, if <laughs> if you had to choose between a real Hammond with a fake Leslie, mm. a Leslie simulator, or a fake Hammond like a Nord mm. with a real Leslie, what would you what would you prefer? Uh, I'd probably go with the real Leslie. The real Leslie and the uh, the clone wheel organ. Yeah, because the the, yeah. the Leslie is so much more responsible for the sound than a lot of people give it credit for. Yeah, because I've I've taken that uh the iPad like the Galileo organ mm-hmm. and I've one. run it through like a Leslie 125 and Ooh. it sounds incredible. Yeah. Uh and there's no difference between that and the Hammond C3 I play at church like through the Leslie. Um the the only thing that's I guess is missing is just the the overall low end frequency. But as far as, you know, if you're playing with the group, like you can, every, everybody would know that it's, it's the organ sound. Like if you put it through that speaker. Right. Uh, you can almost just put a, a scent through a Leslie and mm-hmm. it would sound like an organ. Yeah. Because most of the time you're hearing a Hammond and the Leslie's not on fast, it's on slow. Mm-hmm. So it's still, you're still getting that, that rotating Doppler effect just when the Hammond's just playing normally. Unless you're Jimmy Smith. Jimmy Smith didn't play through a Hammond, did he? Uh, yeah. Did he have it on slow? Because he never, he never switched it. I'm always waiting for him to switch it. And it just, I think he's just more of a chorus guy. It is always a great mystery. They say he always like hid his uh, registrations and his setup from people so that no Ooh. one could. Uh, it's been a while since I listened to him, but I would imagine very similar to the way that Stax Records uh, that was responsible for Al Green and all of that, they altered the uh, Leslie and the the Hammond to get the sound that they wanted. Um, Now, with Jimmy Smith, it it might also be possible that he 
use like a a, a Leslie thirty one H uh, as a so you know the the most popular ones now is like the one twenty two and the one forty seven like those are the classic. Usually, a Leslie one forty seven gives you that drive that you'll hear in like rock and anything where it's like like slicing through. The 122 is usually that smooth sound, like Jimmy Smith, where you hear, uh, or Joey DeFrancesco, mm-hmm. however you say it. Um, but the 31H, or what they call the Tall Boys, and it's very similar to this grandfather clock that you have. It's that shape. Wow. Is it uh, that tall? Mm-hmm. And those, those didn't have a... Those had the speed switch on the speaker. So if you were someone to play through that, you you would have to like get up from the organ and like hit the switch. So I could see him playing something like that and you just leave it on the one speed. We're going to take a short break. So we're back on air. So what that that style you were just playing? That's called uh, proper ragtime. Huh? Yes. Uh huh. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. And you said to to play. Uh, you were you were off mic when mm-hmm. you explained this to me. You divide the keyboard in half, and you don't let your right hand cross over middle D. Yeah. Oh, so 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 that's for uh, that. So that rule is for stride piano uh like the yeah the fats waller's been he's considered the father of jazz or he he claimed himself as the father of jazz the inventor he's Uh, a new orleans guy right yeah storyville yeah Uh, oh yeah storyville mm -hmm. and uh he he for certain you know took the music to to a whole new level uh what was this but yeah so he you know he'd play in the brothels and what have you and he would split the keyboard in half where uh so similar to the ragtime, but he put a little more of a, a bass line, like a little more move on the bass line. The ragtime okay. always sounds like a marching band, like kind of a straight, like er- everything's very straight. And where the ragtime gets its movement are the, uh, whatever you call it, like the quadruple notes in the, in the right hand uh, and how that interacts with the, uh, the left hand. But the left hand is always like steady. It's like boom, 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 boom. Uh, so there's there's no real variation, you know, like they're all your basic mm-hmm. like major chords, six chords. Uh but when you, yeah. Sixth? Do you use a lot of six chords? I don't. I don't. I usually if I use if I hit a like a major six chord, then I usually it's just like the one, three, and the six. Uh do you take the five out? Yeah, I take the five out. I, yeah, that I, would get a little muddy, huh? Yeah. I cluttered. Uh, mm-hmm. Only in the middle section of the piano will I hit like bunch notes you ever tried this I, i've been trying to practice where you use your thumb to hit two notes at once yeah i've done that i i, I never I'll use thought that about for that. uh sevens okay <laughs> especially playing reggae uh-huh. if yeah if my if my root is near the thumb mm-hmm. or i'll just use any finger to hit two notes at once when i'm doing seven sometimes yeah it never occurred to me and you know i was yeah. like watching this video i was like whoa well, you're, two you're, notes at once yeah i mean as you as your hands get bigger you don't uh, take advantage sometimes of the fact that they're growing and so, well at least for me when i started i was as much smaller i could barely hit an octave so mm. uh, now i can hit an octave no problem but uh, yeah i guess a big question i haven't asked is can you read music yes can you sight read i cannot sight read in time ah yeah but that, you that can you the, could get by 
it, you know, it, here's here's a piece of music, Jarrell. Uh, Do your homework. Yes, have I, it ready tomorrow. I can study it, and and that's fine. That's awesome. um, so I have been practicing the last week and a half, where I read sheet music every day uh, mm. away from the piano. Like for me, that's the big challenge uh, because you know, like the more you read it, you start to see the shapes. And, you know, you don't have to count the lines on the staff, like how many lines above. You just know, like, oh, that's a high E. So that's what I want to get more familiar with that so that I can recognize the the, the patterns and the shapes. For me, I, I it's very difficult, uh, especially reading organ music, because then you have the three staffs. Because, uh, you know, they put the, the, pedals. The, the bass pedal notes. Mm. Yeah, but I, I've been seeing improvement for sitting down and reading sheet music uh, away from the instrument and just, uh, you know, I start with pieces that I'm familiar with so I know how it sounds and I can follow the notes and hear it. And uh, then I'm going to test myself in another couple months and see if I can take pieces that I'm not familiar with, look at the music and hear it. And then so when I go and sit at the organ or the piano that see if I'm correct, like if I'm, able to hear the tones just from looking at the music, the sheet music. One, one, one tip I would definitely give, whatever it is that you want to accomplish, it doesn't matter how slowly you accomplish it, like accomplish what, what is most important. So if, if you want to be able to read that sheet music, don't ever get discouraged that you don't feel like you're moving fast enough or progressing right. fast enough. If that's, uh, what you want to accomplish, then you, you do it. And like, even if you only get through two measures, uh, I started on these uh, Bach preludes for organ, and it's just like a, a, a book of preparation, 70 pieces to prepare you to play the preludes, like the, the organ chorales that he wrote. And the uh, advice at the beginning of the book says, go one measure at a time. Like once you get measure one, then you do measure two. Then you go back and you play measure one and measure two. When you get that down, you go to measure three. Then you play measure two and measure three, and you just keep on adding the song like that. And even if you only get those three measures in that day, um, and the reason I try to stress that is probably 14 years ago, I remember a musician told me the most important thing you can do as a piano player, as a keyboardist, is transcribe transpose every song that you learn into all 12 keys Ooh. and you do not know the song until you can play it in all 12 keys. Doesn't mean you can't perform it, but especially like if you're, and it honestly took me 12 years to heed that advice. And once one key a year, huh? Oh man. <laughs> and now that I, I started doing that and I don't walk every song, but I'm capable of playing most songs because of working with the choir and, you know, three years ago, if I went into a choir rehearsal and we started playing a song and they said, ooh, that's that's too high for me. Can you play it somewhere lower? I used to just get so mad, like, oh, my goodness, I've worked so hard on this song. Now I have to learn it all over again. <laughs> now, like, you know, it's fun. Like, I mess with them. I'm like, ooh, I don't know if that's the right key for you. And then just move it around. And it really helps. Like, um, it, it it really does. Like, it's a it's a better understanding of the song and you get to relax like you yeah you know that feeling like when you're not even 
you're not even worried about the instrument or the notes. It's just like, I'm, you know, you just feel like you're producing it, you know, from, from within, like the, you know, like you're just passing it straight through that instrument and out and about. Yeah. So it's great. Yeah. That's uh transposing is definitely a crutch that uh, can easily be uh, implemented all the time uh, by keyboard players. And then mm-hmm. you get into a studio environment or a church or just, you know, a piano at a piano bar and, yeah, you need to transpose. Maybe your voice can't hit as high as uh, it was the day before and you need to lower it and not knowing how to get down that half a step mm-hmm. or even whole step uh, that can really put you in a bind. So I have completely disabled the transpose function from my life. I don't transpose at all anymore. Mm-hmm. And it has, uh, it's been difficult, but it's I'm seeing the improvement. Just knowing no matter what key I'm in, where the minor six is, where the four is, where the five is, where the third is, you know, and, and just, just sticking with it. And it, it's a slow, slow progression because I was, I was a transposer playing in bands. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Playing in bands and, uh, mm-hmm. live learn it and see. And mm-hmm. I'd, I'd make little notes plus six, plus five. Plus four. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so the, the keyboardist I Terrible. play with in church, he does Terrible. it, but you know what? It, it's okay. Like I, I always, I will never discourage people from using any any advantage that you have, right? You want to go back and you want to do the work so that you don't have to use, you know, but, you know, you can call it a crutch, whatever. But yeah, you, you break your leg, you use the crutch because it allows you to get around, right? But you want to get stronger so you can walk on your own. So, but yeah, it, it's it's never, there's no shame in taking the, the easy way, right? Like, on a night by night basis, right? But long yeah. term, you need to realize as a keyboard player that you don't need to be transposing, right? You know, especially when you're out and about, whatever allows you to present the best product, you should do. That's that's a good point. You know, like there's no space for demonstrating your weaknesses when you're trying to present music to people that you don't know but some people do use capos as a crutch right to just use the c g yeah. shape yes mm. the g is home yeah. have you seen the family guy skit no i haven't nah. seen that show have in you, year. i love have, it you, you haven't seen the the family guy guitar uh, uh, yeah he's, he's like i'm i'm playing g i'm home it's stewie and then he's uh e minor i'm gonna take a walk outside it's raining it's storming c that was great. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not doing it justice. But oh man, that was a pretty good funny. Impor- I I knew you were Stewie when you said that. That was great. As far as your influences, who do you mimic? Or not who do you mimic? But who has been an inspiration to you as a keyboard player? Uh so I, I grew up in uh, the church that that I play at now, and uh, they had an organist uh, who served there for 30 years. Uh, his name's Ken Rainey. Um. And he, he's he's really good. Uh, he was inspirational because you know, kind of like when he saw me coming, he would he would never let me get on the organ. Uh, he he would always like designate me, and then you know like so I'd have to play the keyboard, and then like some days I'd show up and he'd be like, oh you know, why don't you play the drums? And he'd put the drum machine, and you know he always wanted me there, but he never wanted me to like learn the songs uh but he's he's an incredibly nice person uh and he's a great organist um and i actually saw him last week at the church where he plays now and 
I was listening to just the bass lines that he was doing, like with his feet. And I kept on looking for the bass player. Like I was having a hard time accepting that he was able to not just put those complete bass lines, but with separate movement, like separate rhythm patterns from what he was playing. Uh, so, I mean, he, he's a, he's a master, like he's, you know, probably in his seventies now, but, um, I think he had a long-term plan for you. He was yeah. keeping you away from that Hammond just cause he knew he would, he would, uh, you'd develop a thirst for it. Oh, yeah. Man. No. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was unattainable mm. that you wanted it. Yeah. Um, and the other one was the, the church that we originally went to, uh, from the time I was 11 and under, uh, was an organist and the choir director's name was Charles Tyrone. Uh, and as, as far as gospel music goes, he, he made a pretty good impact. Even, even nationwide, he has some songs that, uh, did well. And, you know, he's since passed, but, uh, he played, there was a church called Bella Vista, uh, and it's still over there. It's right on, uh, Studiwood, like in that neighborhood. Up in the Heights. Yes. Uh huh. On the, so on the other side of six ten, on the north of six ten, but right there, like thirty fourth and six ten, and uh, the, the church has grown like it's you know like several thousand people. Uh, wow. Yeah, we had our choir members go there, and they're just like, wow, they play just like the record. Like you know when they play the songs, yeah, uh, it's, it's great, man. Like just they they have like a a level of excellence that you just really don't. Don't hear a I need, lot. I need to go sit in. Mm-hmm. I uh, when I have free time on YouTube, that's my that's my go to. If I'm just if, if if I had to type one thing into YouTube, and it was my last time I could ever type anything into YouTube, it'd be like Corey Henry or just some gospel mm-hmm. musician playing on a Hammond at church. I mm-hmm. I love watching those. The notes that they hit, it's almost as if the they're hitting notes that aren't even on the keyboard. So I saw this guy I named what... Bobby Sparks. Bobby, uh, oh, yeah, Bobby Sparks over at the El Dorado Ballroom uh, over there on Emancipation Boulevard. Uh, he served as uh, Prince's. He was his last uh, keyboardist before Prince passed away. And before that, he spent 15 years with uh, Kirk Franklin as his band director. And uh, they were talking about, they were doing a tribute show to Arnett Cobb for his 100th birthday, you know, if he had been alive. And um, they carried up the Hammond, you know, he had the back exposed so you could see, you know, all the gears and Ooh, the tubes. And tone wheels and- oh, man. And he had, I think it was like a four-piece band. I don't know the drummer, but, you know, the drummer's like old guys, great. Uh, but the saxophonist was a man named Shelly Carroll, who plays with the Duke Ellington Orchestra, still... I think he's in Houston though. Uh, and the trombonist is this guy, Andre Hayward. They're both just top jazz players that perform around the country, both with the Duke Ellington orchestra and that organist, Bobby Sparks just outdid them every solo that they took. And, you know, like I was watching and like everyone gets so excited. I was like, Oh, you know, he's just, he's just doing like simple tricks and, you know, cause he'd start and he'd, you know, have some nice melody, but he'd always get to the, like sliding it and like building it. And, you know, I was just like, it's just like such a simple trick, but it, it takes real skill to be able to really, uh, like they say, tell a story. Um, 
it's always been one of my weaknesses is like the solo, like making a solo actually build and take it somewhere. Um, so it, it was great to watch. Like, even though it was so formulaic, what he was doing, you couldn't do it any better than he did. And it was, it was really nice to hear. Um, and yeah, and the same thing, like he, he was doing the, the bass lines with his left hand and just complimenting him with the foot mm-hmm. on the organ. Uh, but it was great. Giving it some body with the foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could never, I've never, I think I've hit a foot pedal once or twice, but uh, yeah, that would take some practice. I, I had I have a lot of admiration for those guys who, I mean, that's like a third limb in yeah. action. And, and if you're mm-hmm. singing too, it's wow. Yeah. I always compare it to the drums. It's, it's when you finally get both your feet moving, playing the organ, then you finally understand how a drummer plays uh, because you have to have that same type of balance, you know, with your body, uh, you know, so th- that's, you know, when you really become a percussion instrument, uh, in my opinion. But your foot's not landing in the same place every time like it is with drums. You could keep your heels stationary on a on a drum kit, mm-hmm. but on an organ, you have to, you're bouncing around. I mean, that would take yes. some, you'd have to look at it at first mm-hmm. when you're learning before you can navigate. Yeah. So that would take my eyes off of the, the key beds. I'd be looking down. It would just be a mess at first. Which, which is that? That's where I am. So yeah. So what? What I started. Um, so I've really been trying to focus on the the twenty five note pedal board, right? The like the largest one that you. Uh-huh. I have a. It's called a Hammond BC organ that I play at home from nineteen thirty six. And what I do when I first started, I would just kind of tap my left foot on the bass notes, um, and I wouldn't move it. Right now, what I've been working on is they call like the heel to toe. So for the um, the white keys, you know, for the for the sake of clarity, mm-hmm. you use your heel. Really? Uh, yeah. And for the black keys, you use your toe. And so that way, eventually, it builds up your ability to move quicker because you're just pivoting. Right. Um, so that's what I've been working on. I still, I'm still just only able to hit the root notes on the bass. Mm. Um, and maybe I can put like a little bit of a run or a lick uh, with my left foot, but I can't do it with my right foot. You don't, you don't hit the fifth with your right foot? Uh, do you even need the fifth? Or are you doing the fifth on your left uh, hand? No, no, no. So like I, um, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll hit the root or, you know, like I, I've been trying not to, run uh bass lines on my left hand but sometimes i do like the one and the five um or you know like a a double octave with the fifth in there on the left hand but i'm trying to do the voicings like the moving voicings with the left hand like the the harmonization that's what i was trying to remember the the phrase was reharmonization reharmonization yeah so that's what so in order to on our Christmas yeah, carol yeah, discussion, when we were talking about the Christmas oh, song, yeah, that yeah. King Cole, um, the way that as a uh, as a pianist to create your own sound, you have to start taking melodies and reharmonizing them, and that's what you know. Like when you hear McCoy Tyner, you know that it's McCoy Tyner, and you know it because of the harmonization that he uses. 
you know, it's Thelonious Monk because of the mm. harmonization that he uses. And so that's what I've started focusing on. Uh, so even when I'm playing the organ, like my left hand, so I put the melody in my right hand and the left hand, I'm trying to harmonize. Um, so, you know, it, it requires first that I know the melody, I know the melody and then slowing it down and taking it step by step, like note for note. And, um, looking at some different possibilities, I, I want the left hand to create the movement. Right. So when you do like the chestnuts roasting on an open fire, you know, so then to reharmonize that with the left hand, then you're doing chestnuts roasting like that. And it creates like more, more movement. And then people know that that's what sticks in their head because you're taking a song, you're taking a melody that they already know. And what'd you say? Like putting your signature on it. Uh, like, uh, yeah, making the baseline, not really baseline though. It's not a baseline. It's, it's a different type of thing. It, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's a, like a tag, like, yeah. uh, no, seriously. An so, identifier. <laughs> right. So what I've been doing is like, I've, I've been taking, uh, in the hall of the mountain King. And like, I try to put that in like a lot of songs that I play. Right, like that, that, just as a, as a, like a, a challenge to myself, like to learn how to harmonize and make that acceptable. You know, like it's not just like throwing it out, out of nowhere. It's not a pause and a break, and then I play that. Um, but it's it's a challenge for for harmonization. Are you doing Um, this on your left hand? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Wow. I didn't know the name of that song. In the Hall of the Mountain King. Yeah, it's like Ed Edward Grieg or something like that. I wish I knew my my classical. I have such an appreciation for it now. It was so boring when I was ten and eleven, mm. twelve. When I first started kind of getting into music, I thought classical was so boring. Now I wish I would have paid attention. Mm. But uh, you know, I, I was uh, I was entertained by. 70s rock back then. That's what got me started on all this thing. Yeah. Oh, what's in the Marley book? What songs? Uh, it's, a, it's a compilation of random songs. It's not based on any album. Right, but right. Uh, yeah, Marley has been uh, one of my biggest influences. Uh, that was definitely my segue into reggae. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw him on vacation. Not Marley. I saw a band on a cruise ship on vacation when I was 12. Mm-hmm. And I was just infatuated with reggae. And I, I listened... I, bought their album they had like a you know album of cover songs uh-huh. and uh, i listened to that over and over and over because it, it reminds you of a happy time you're you're they're reminding you of vacation so then I, I downloaded the original songs and by the original artists and i started diving into those artists and and reggae just took took me over it's it's now my favorite genre mm-hmm. have you listened to the like uh was it jackie mitsu like the different uh organists that do reggae like from no, the 70s i, I, I really I, I know what you're talking about, uh, but no, I haven't. I haven't. That's pretty neat. I haven't spent much time with that. I'm still. Uh, there's still so much to digest with just uh, lovers rock reggae, mm-hmm. roots reggae. I mean, it goes back and back and back, and and I try to be as comprehensive with it as possible. Mm-hmm. But yeah, seventies, eighties, nineties reggae. I can I can sing nearly every song. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I I mean. 
Yeah. I'm familiar with them. I mean, that's, that's just, I'm just obsessed with it. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, finding, finding the band I play with now has been a blessing. It's been so much fun. I was frustrated before not being able to play reggae. So, uh-huh. so are, are you doing the Friday? You're going to. Yeah. Shoe shine. Are you playing? Okay. With, are you playing with Coon? I don't know if he's playing, but no, I'm, playing? I'm, I'm going to be there from six to nine for a Christmas party. So I'm stick around and see you guys. Oh, we play after nine. I assume so, unless y'all are playing for the Christmas party. My, my friend Rachel yeah, I have Jones. No idea. Okay, I, I assume that y'all play afterwards. Uh, my my friend, she used to, she was a bartender's there. Actually, this is how I started going to the Big Top. You know, ten years ago, whenever it opened, it's because she was the bartender's. Uh, so that lady that's there, Donna, she's always been there. Mm. Uh, but Rachel. Jones used to work there also, so that's why we love going in there because she was like this redhead cutie and she was so cool. And her father's a folk musician and she's Wait. a wonderful singer. Oh, she's still with us. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't oh, know yeah. if this was in she her honor. She, she, no, she doesn't work there anymore. No, she has her Christmas party there. Every oh, okay, year. Yeah. so it's it's this Friday. Like I didn't mean to tonight. laugh, but I'm I'm, no. I'm relieved to hear that she's. I thought it was for some reason. I thought it was in her honor. She. Used to bartend there, and she's no longer with us. And well, she, we, she's no longer with the big top. She's well, a, she's good. a real estate. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear she has uh, moved on and is doing well. Yeah, Donna's. Uh, I, I didn't know her name, but I know exactly who you're talking about. She's a mm-hmm. uh, she's a sweetheart, man. I I guess she knows who I am. She mm-hmm. never charges me for beer oh, yeah, up yeah, there, yeah. but at the same time, she doesn't look at me like she knows me. Did I tell you? So the last time I went in that back room you know, where they store all the gear. Not, so not only do they have the, uh, the Fender Rhodes now, but they now have the Wurlitzer, the, like the student model. It's like this page. Really? They have a Wurlitzer electric piano. Yeah. I mean, they won't let you play any of them, but it, I keep meaning to like look up cause I've never, I've never seen one disassembled and I didn't know like, uh, you know, cause I would gladly get in trouble and play it, but I didn't, I didn't know how to put it together. I thought you worked on those. Not a Wurlitzer. Not, what about not, a Rhodes? Uh, no, I've I've never okay. I've never worked on any of those. Um, so one of them is Tynes. That's the Rhodes. Yeah, the, the Rhodes is the Tynes. And then the Wurlitzer's no, 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 no. Reeds. No, the Tynes is yeah. The Tynes the Rhodes. Yeah, the, the Reeds is Wurlitzer, right? This, uh, Tynes so, is like a ding, ding ding ding. So I know for certain that the Rhodes, yeah, has those tone bars, the Tynes. Okay. I'm, I'm not certain. I think the difference is in the pickup. Like, so they're both, you know, if it's, if it's a true electric piano, then it has a hammer striking. Um, but I think the difference is, yeah, what? Yeah, the rose has tines. Yeah, I, I like, um, I, think, I don't know. I go back and forth. I think I still uh, would choose Wurlitzer over Rhodes if I had to mm-hmm. own one. And yeah, oh man, Rhodes is is nice though. They had the I saw the yeah, yeah the the Wurlitzers I think, and they have such a history, man. Like all the way from like the the Wurlitzer one twenty, which is what you hear on like the Ray Charles mm-hmm. recordings, to like the Wurlitzer two hundred A, which is all over like funk and R&B okay. from the 70s. So like what I say, Ray Charles, that's that's a the 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 Wurlitzer 120. The 120. Mhm. 
Or, you know, maybe, it, you know, uh, something yeah. in there like 112, 114. Like yeah. it's one of those early ones um, where it didn't, you know, it didn't have like a line out. It's just like the speakers from, from the, uh, it, you know, it was still portable, uh, but it just had the built-in speakers. Had in an it. amp in the bottom, mm-hmm. kind yeah, of it's uh, aiming at your knees. Mm-hmm. The, the speaker was at your knees. I think usually they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, it didn't have a line out. I don't believe so. Wow. Not not the one twenties or below. Crazy. Um, but you know, like the two hundred, you hear it in, in like the meters and uh. You ever listen to that Robert Palmer album? That uh, which uh, one? With the I think it's like Sneaking Sally Through the Alley or which, whichever album that that's off. It's like one of his first albums, but he has the meters are his backing band. Like okay, you know, and it's just incredibly funky, man. It's just it's great, but. Um, the meters did. Uh, I got a little change in my pocket. Is is that them? I don't know. I don't know that song. They've done so many. Oh. Uh, you know, Sissy Strut is, of course, their big hit. The dun 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 dun. Okay, yeah, yeah. Dun dun dun. Uh, but the, you know, it's like the Neville's. Like Art Neville was the the keyboardist, and uh, George Porter was the bassist. Okay. Uh, I don't remember the other people. You know, they're. I th- I think it something like either the guitarist left or he died, and they've always had like different configurations Jeez. since then. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, first time I got on a whirly, I was looking for the power cord. Mm-hmm. I I found one in a practice room. Mm-hmm. This is like five or so years ago, and uh, I was looking for the power cord. I thought it had preamp built into it, but it it's it doesn't. You just plug the line out just like you would a guitar oh, in, yeah, into yeah. a into an amplifier which mm-hmm. is uh has a preamp in it i I don't know why I thought it'd be like a digital keyboard with a preamp inside of it, and you just run a hot line out into a mixer mm-hmm. but this thing is is it's a pickup it's a it's a it's like a guitar uh-huh. in in that sense, but yeah, I felt so foolish i was well, how do you turn this thing on where's the power cord <laughs> yeah I'll, even when you're explaining it I, I'm trying to remember like i've you know, I've played a a Worldster 200A, but I'm not I'm not familiar with them. I played one in a in a bookstore before. Yeah. Uh, but I've never I've never spent a lot of time with them. Like I, I've probably played a Worldster Electric like four or five times, and they were always set up. So I'd never I've never paid attention to the the output. It's so sad because that's my that's my go to patch mm-hmm. when I'm not playing piano when I'm playing live, mainly with I don't know like a rock band or a cover band or something. Mm. I'd like to do a solo with a Wurlitzer amped up. Mm. And I feel like I know my my fake Wurlitzer on my computer so well. But yeah, to get on a real one and not even know that it didn't have a preamp built into it and a power supply, it's just, I just felt so foolish. You know, I, I mm. don't know. It's just like you're, you're imitating this thing all the time and you don't even know how it works. Mm. I, I love learning how keyboards work. Uh, the 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 tone wheels mm-hmm. in a Hammond organ are just phenomenal. The synchronous motor and the little grooves and every piece of uh, mechanical linkage that goes into the to making the the Hammond sound. What a brilliant uh, and the drawbars too. I mean, yeah. all of the uh, what are they called um, harmonics that uh-huh. you can control. And that's another thing. I haven't found many resources online 
to to a large degree for ham and draw bar settings. It's almost something that you just have to get nasty with yourself. Yeah, I, I read yesterday. Um, I'm not sure if it was an old brochure. It, it was something that was summarizing the ham and draw bars, and it was saying that the oh, so it was the the instruction manual for the uh, Oberheim OB three squared. <laughs> you love this thing. Yeah, and w- what it said was that the. Uh, the draw bars are to imitate the different pipe lengths of a pipe organ. Uh-huh. And it said that the white draw bars are for the fundamentals and the octaves. Uh, it said that the black draw bars are for the uh, thirds and fifths. Okay. And then the uh, brown draw bars are for the subharmonics. That makes sense. Yeah, it was a good summary. Yeah. I mean, I've heard it before, but for whatever reason, that one kind of stuck with me a little better than... Uh, yeah, so it makes it easier, right? So if so, the third one, the, the third draw bar... So when you talk about draw bars, you're always going from left to right. So when mm. you say like the third draw bar, the first one is brown, the second one is brown, the third one is white. So the third draw bar is your fundamental. Your mm-hmm. right. That's so your one. That'd be your one foot. Right. Uh. Mm, I don't know. I think sixteen eight. Is it one? I, okay. I think the third might be your one. Okay. I don't know. Uh. But yeah, I I like I like pulling them all out a little bit though. Mm-hmm. What's your What's your go to setting? Oh. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I I I probably pull the uh uh so I I I don't have a go-to setting. My go-to draw bar is that fifth one. I think it's like the first black one. Oh, uh here we got an image. I, okay, I I like to mix that one in. Yeah, I like to mix this one in a little more than I think other people do. Uh-huh. So you know like so your basic Oh, it doesn't move. So, no, no okay. it's, this is just an image. Okay, so say like your 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 basic jazz setting is that eight six eight eight zero 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 zero, right? Eight six eight eight zero 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 zero. Yeah. The, so the first so, it's it's only using the first four, so it's eight, okay. then six, eight eight, and then everything else is zero. Yeah, I can't believe I thought the third one was a one. That's mm-hmm. the one on the very right. Yeah, it's an eight eight footer. Third one's eight. Yeah, I'd called it one earlier. But yeah, uh, so eight, six, eight, eight, and then zero, zero. So that's mm-hmm. that's the Jimmy Smith, right? That's the Jimmy Smith, yeah, they say. The, all, so, the first four all the way down. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times what I do is I take that and then I put like the, the black one there. Two and two thirds. So then I take the two and two thirds and move it anywhere from like five to seven. Okay. Uh, so I think I I usually substitute that one for this uh, five and a third. Does I say five and a third? Yes. Okay. So I, that that's really the the main difference, probably between the way that I use the draw bars is instead of using this five and two thirds, I use the two and two thirds in its place. So you're saying whites are the fundamentals? Yes. 
Mm-hmm. So if I'm so. holding down a C note and I pull the eight, I'm just going to get a sine wave C. Mm-hmm. And then I pull the four out and I'll get the, the octave, one octave above. Mm-hmm. And then and then higher octave, higher octave. Yeah. Now if you pull out all the whites. Now I believe one of them is like an octave and a fifth. Mm. Um, Interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I, I look at the, that, the one foot that's all the way at the end. That one is to me indistinguishable, but I use it when you want a, a chime sound. Uh, I was read a few weeks back that if you pull just the white keys out, then that's considered a, a gospel setting. Ooh. Uh, so then I take that and I adjust it, and you know, like I, I move the, the one foot back. I, I have, I, I've been trying to like work with each draw bar a little bit. Uh, so it had been the, um, two and two thirds had been the one that I've been trying to work with. And so now I've been trying to look at the, uh, the, the two foot and the one foot and to, to really understand, like, uh, to try and hear the sound before Mm -hmm. I bring it out. Yeah. The one Uh, is uh, dangerous. mm -hmm. That one's so, it's so present when you pull it out, the one, it Mm -hmm. just, uh, it, it's del- you got to be delicate with that one, I feel like, more than the other ones. Mm-hmm. When I really want to alter my sound, I'll just pull out the one. You know, when I'm really having a good time playing in church, what I'll do is I'll just hold a chord and I'll just move the draw Ooh. bars. Like, I will not move the notes and everything. Like, that's... That's cool. Corey Henry so does fun. that yeah, all yeah. the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love the videos where he does that. He has it down, too. He knows what he's doing. I'm not saying that you don't, but I I, yeah, I no, don't know no. what I'm doing when I'm pulling them out. No, I've seen the video like when he was like seven years old or something playing. You know, I mean, apparently he grew yeah. up on the organ. Yeah, he. I think his different. I think his mother was an organ. Uh, okay, and his father was also an organ, and they got mm-hmm. together and they had a child. Yeah, and his I, name was Corey Henry. Yeah, he I think became he, a funk I think apostle. He is a, a, I think he's an organ disguised as a human being. Did he already come? I know he was supposed to be playing at like the Heights Theater or something. Yeah, did he that did. Show? We oh, had okay. a, we had a show that night. I oh. I was I'm glad I didn't buy tickets. I I was going to. I wanted to go so bad, but uh, I try not to miss our shows if possible. But mm-hmm. uh, that was tough. That was tough knowing he, that he was playing at the same time I was. Did he go? He went through North Texas, no. What on his wasn't tour? He, no, no, wasn't he a University of North Texas? Product? I don't know. I don't know his his background. I I, I think that uh, the snarky puppy that all those guys that it, which includes him, uh, but you know his original group, snarky puppy. Oh, they no. they were popular for kind of like uh, what do you call it, jazz fusion. Uh, but it, you know it was like a twenty piece band, but it was basically composed of students from the University of North Texas, hmm. and so then they would go and they would do shows, but they would also do clinics. So you know, so they'd go over, you know, and then they start going overseas. But that's how they were able to, I believe, keep the group together. It's, you know, like such a large group. You know, they have like a ridiculous. You watch videos. There's like four guitars and you know, the horn section and all this. It's like the wall of sound yeah, live. Yeah. But they would do shows and then they would put on like clinics and, you know, master classes and stuff like that in the towns where they were. Yeah. Uh, Man, it's been, it's been nice talking with you. Yeah, uh, I appreciate it. I think we touched on just about everything. You, you will definitely be a recurring guest. Uh, I look forward but, to it. But uh, if you had to, 
go through life with only one keyboard instrument the rest of your existence. You could only play that one. The best one. It could be the, if it's a piano, it could be the nicest Steinway. If it's a Hammond, it could be always working, always in tune. Let's pretend that this is a perfect instrument, but you had to pick one. If it was just like I'm coming in, I'm sitting down, definitely right now it would it would, it would be the, uh, the the Hammond organ. It would be the Hammond. Yes, yeah, for certain, yeah. Really? Yeah. And you'd never be able to touch a, a piano again for the rest of your life. Yeah, you're stuck I, yeah. with the Hammond. I, I think so. Yeah, and you know, part of that is because I, I'm I'm still smitten by it, and um, hmm. I I know there's a lot that I, I don't understand that I, I want to be able to unlock about playing the, the Hammond. Um, whereas like the, the piano and the, the other keyboards, uh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't feel like there's as much that I could improve, you know, like I, obviously I could always be better, but, you know, I've had enough time with them that the limitations that are there in my playing are just like inherently there at this point. It's not because of the amount of time that I spent, <laughs> but the organ, it's like the amount of time that I've spent. Mm-hmm. So, uh, or, you know, something that I've never played that I really would like to is one of those Honor pianets. Uh, for whatever reason, I've always had a fascination with Honor, uh, the equipment that they make. Uh, like the cymbalettes, the pianets, clavinet, the clavinet. And I've never gotten to play any of them. Uh, that's that's probably number one on my wish list. Uh, one of because I, I, I think it's probably the most underrated maker of instruments, like the instruments that they made, like in the sixties and seventies. Uh, Man, the clavinet. Mm-hmm. That is a. Different instrument. Have you seen that company, Vintage Vibe? You know they make those new. Uh uh-uh. uh Oh man, I wish, I wish. Yeah, it's like it's again like six thousand dollars or something mm, like that. Yeah, yeah. Like watching watching Stevie on the clavinet, mm. the D six. I think that's his go to. I I really want to get a uh, ARP. You know, so there's like this old synth maker. And they make like these things like the Arp Voyager and Odyssey, but you hear it in music like the Headhunters and, you know, like Chick Corea. And, and I, I started to really want to find one of these. And then I realized, you know, like those people back then, they were always playing like the brand new stuff. And now, you know, all these years later, I'm infatuated with the vintage instrument, but all those pioneers like in their time, you know, it's like they were playing like Stevie Wonder. It was like a brand new, like Yamaha made a new synthesizer for him to play. And he designed a whole album around this instrument as he was figuring it out. And I wonder if I'm limiting my ability to impact by not just like going and getting the, you know, the newest stuff. And But, but what is, I mean, what is the newest sound? It's, it's, it's. The Raleigh Seaboard, that's what everybody wants, the, the keyboards. But, All the non-keyboardists want the keyboardists to go get the Raleigh yeah, Seaboard. Yeah, but the Seaboard, still, you're still playing the old patches. I right. mean, at the end of the day, it's sine wave, a square wave, and then what a sawtooth, and then whatever type of effects you want to add on top of that. Mm. Uh, it's not, I don't feel like there are any new sounds. 
Right. There's no new technology. No, but but it you know they're new new right. key beds. Yeah, which is and you new know. things you can do with it, but. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like even, you know, you mentioned Nords earlier as being everyone's go-to. Yeah, but they're they're emulating all the classics. I really have no desire to get good on the synth. <laughs> the Moogs are... Yeah, yeah. I like I like listening to them live and hearing them in recordings, but I'm just fascinated enough with the Hammond that, and the piano that I just could stay there forever. My friend, uh, Laura Tabor, sent me this link to some artwork that she likes. And uh, one of the paintings had this uh, title, and I was just like, "Oh, that is a song waiting to happen." It was called like, like the the destructiveness of desire or something like that. And it was just like this cityscape where like the guys like looking out like over the city, and it's almost like this Batman kind of feel of it. But I was just like, "Yeah, like I completely understand that saying that." You know, it's okay that you don't want to play the synth, right? You don't have to increase your desires. Like, if you're satisfied yeah. with the Hammond, that's good. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah, well, yeah. Yep. But it's really not ignorance. Well, it's just, satisfaction is bliss. I yeah, think that, that would for be for sure. But where can right. we catch you, Jarrell? You, uh, you host a couple open mics around town. You play with Robert Kuhn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Are you on his yeah. album? Are you? Uh, I'm on the first recording. The first one... I uh, came in that everybody knows, and we went to Sugar Hill Studios and recorded it in one day, like one eight-hour session. Uh, uh, but the second one, he worked with the producer that I introduced him to named Kevin Skrilla over at uh, Wolf Island Studios, uh, and they uh, worked on it for like two, two and a half years. Uh, Where's Wolf Island Studios? In Dayton, Texas. Oh. On Wolf Island Road. Yeah, he's got a giant corn farm that he works on, and he built this uh, studio. Interesting. Yeah, it's, Sounds it's pretty exotic. Man, he is... Wolf Island. He is Kevin Skrilla. No vowels in the name, except for at the end. <laughs> uh, he's one of the, the best young players. He's a pedal steel guitarist. Man, I'm going to have to review this list of names you've thrown at me. Oh man, yeah. I've only recognized about ten percent of them. That's uh, because I'm I'm old. That's that's why I'm sure if you you told me about the the people around town that that you know, I I wouldn't know any of them. Well, Jarrell, it was a pleasure, man. Thanks for uh, coming by. Yes, sir. We'll, Thank uh, you we'll for do this me. frequently. Sounds like yeah, a plan. Yeah, just chat and talk keyboard. Maybe we can next time we can incorporate more of uh playing into it I, oh yeah i kind of yeah. threw us far away from my piano it'd be kind of nice if you could just reach out and play something but anyway many more to come all right thanks thank man you. thank you so much the second episode is a wrap thanks again for listening go to the website morekeyspleasepodcast.com you can also go to thomascoconos.com it's the same website. There you will find everything relating to the podcast and much, much more. We got some great players lined up for you. So stay tuned. We'll see you next time. <laughs>